Well, I say we just go home. Hasn't it been great? <laughs> Amen. Well, you got to put up with me. Uh, before we jump into this text that was just read better than any text I've heard in a long time. I mean, really. Before we, amen. I will be a redundant voice to you to call out the uniqueness of this morning and to say to you that we're not just doing this canceling class for a lot of you and coming under one roof. We're not just doing this because we think it's a good idea. We think it's a good idea, but we think it's a theological idea. We think that throughout the scriptures, we read a book in where generations are together, worshiping God, learning his word together. And quite honestly, it's only been in recent history, the last 50 or so years, where we've, with great intention and with great success in some ways, separated out by age group and generations so that we can be more intentional in that teaching and that worship. But sometimes in that great intent, we've swung to a different extreme where moments like this are not that often for us. And so we're really trying as a church to find whatever our rhythm will be because we need a rhythm, right? I mean, even the energy in this room this morning, I come to this service often and there's a different energy in the room. And it's a great, great morning. I am so grateful to Pastor Greg that as we think about this kind of intergenerational service, that he would ask me to be the person to come teach. I'm kind of getting the reputation as the 20-minute sermon specialist around here. And i got to tell you, it's a privilege to sit and work all week and think about a text and the way to teach it to where a first grader and, you know, a hundred and first grader, as Jesse said, are in one roof and these things that typically divide us, we get to be here this morning. So whether that's age, or if you are a Bruin or a Trojan fan, we are here in this room together this morning. And that's all I'm going to say. Okay. So let's pray. Will you join me? Father, it is good to be here this morning. It is good to be a whole church in one room, worshiping you, fellowshipping with one another, and now to hear your word together. God, we pray that this morning that your word would fall on eager ears and eager hearts, and that each one of us, no matter our age, that we would hear from you this morning, and that we would be moved and motivated as we leave this place to be more like you call us to be, more like we were created to be. We know that you're in the work of this, so we ask you to do a work this morning. Amen. So in the scripture that was read to us, there's two, and if you're following along in your own Bible, you know, our Bibles chunk things up and give bold letterings to them. There's two sections that we read. There was one section, the first section, where Jesus, we find him in the synagogue in his hometown. This is a week to think about hometowns, right? Some of you even are back in your hometown this Thanksgiving week. So Jesus is back in his hometown, and he's in the synagogue teaching. The only problem was... That as people were listening to him teach, these people remembered a very different Jesus than the Jesus that was with them. I mean, they knew him. They seen Jesus grow up. They knew Jesus as someone who was a carpenter, someone who had worked with his hands to build things. And now they're in the synagogue setting where Jesus is teaching the scriptures where he is talking about a kingdom that is to come, where he's using his hands not to build something, but to heal people. I mean, this was a very unsettling scene for them. 
It would, it would be like, okay, for me, since I was 17 years old, the only thing I, the only paycheck I've ever gotten was from a church or a camp. This is, this is what I do. I have a degree, an undergraduate degree in Bible, which is really usable uh, outside of this. I have a master's degree in theology. I've worked here forever. I've worked at camps. I've worked at, now imagine tomorrow morning, I wake up, put on a suit and show up at JPL. And I walk into JPL and I just jump right in and start talking about whatever you would talk about at JPL. (laughs) Space and stuff. I don't know what you would talk about there. But imagine I just walk into JPL and I start talking very intelligently about stuff that you talk about at JPL. And, and there's a lot of JPL people that are part of our church. And I start talking about what's going on in Mars. And I intelligently am entering conversation. That would be a very unsettling thing for many of you who know me. It wouldn't fit your mental model of how you think of me as Jeff Matisich. If you're a high school student, if I showed up and started teaching your math class, this would be very similar. Or if I came here this morning and started playing the piano like Dwayne plays the piano, this would be very weird. It wouldn't sit right. Because I have a reputation and known in this context, this family, for doing certain things and not doing some things. You see, when Jesus entered the synagogue, he was known as a carpenter. He was Jesus. He was the guy you went to to get stuff fixed. He was the one you saw grow up around you. And now this same Jesus is the one who's handling the scriptures, who's teaching in the synagogue, who when he places his hands on people, they heal. I mean, you see this, what's going on here? This is very, and so the people reacted and they, they were confused. They were offended. And we'll look into that a little bit more. Jesus goes on in this text to say how difficult is for someone to be a prophet in their own hometown and in their own family which I think is very true. And I think sometimes maybe we have so many of those stories around us because God has blessed us as a church. I wonder if Jeremy ever feels like that, who grew up in this church and now he's leading us. Well, Jesus sees the limitations of his teaching and the people aren't getting it, but he still has a heart for his hometown and he still has a heart for people. So the next section of scripture we see is Jesus with his disciples and now he is empowering them to go take this message. So he puts them in groups of two, gives them some instructions, and sends them out to the villages to go take this message that he was just sharing in the synagogue that people weren't able to hear. So in these two sections, these two different stories, I think that there's a consistent message for us this morning. I think there's three observations that I think happen in each side that we should look at that should empower us this morning. The first thing is this. The first observation is that there is a message to share. I mean, when you read in Mark, the very first thing we see is that Jesus left there, went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. Now, let's not brush over that. I mean, Jesus, part of his ministry, those of us who know him and who study the scriptures and know the story of Jesus, we know that he's a teacher, that he has a message to give. And that his message was one that was radically different from what people had heard before. And so there was teaching that had to happen in the religious places for people to hear and to reform and to change. But we also know from that second story this morning that there's a message to give not just inside the church, but outside the church. And that Jesus has a strategy to get that message out 
that doesn't necessarily always entail people coming in. So, so Jesus was doing the message to share within the church, but his disciples were to go out to the villages, to people's homes, and to take that message there. So the first observation is, in this text, we see that there's an actual message to share. And that's really important for us as a church. And that's why you're a part of a church, or if you're looking to be a part of this church, you're part of a church that takes very seriously the idea that we who know God and have given our lives to Jesus Christ have a message to share. And that's why we do what we do on Sunday mornings and Saturday nights, that we come together and to look at his word and to understand this message that God has for us so that we can know him more fully. But there's also this other side, that this message that we need to hear here, there's an obligation to take that message out there. I'm just thinking about Thanksgiving, and I am very aware that there's probably people here coming to town this week, maybe if they don't have school next week, who are coming back to Pasadena or this area for the week. And maybe you even sit here this morning, and it's been a while since you've been at church. And so the importance that this is a place that when you come to it, you hear the message of God is significant. And so we're going to continue to be a church that shares this message, that takes the message of God and shares it. But the second observation is that as this message is being shared, resistance is guaranteed. I mean, the title of the message is being sent in the face of resistance. Oftentimes, when the message of God is shared, resistance comes. I mean, Jesus guarantees the resistance. I mean, we we see in this text, as Jesus teaches, that his very friends, the people who knew him and knew of him closely, resisted what he was saying. And when Jesus is with his disciples to send them out to take that message, he prepares them for resistance. See, oftentimes when the message is shared, resistance comes. It's guaranteed. I was on a plane last week coming back from uh, San Jose. So a one-hour flight. And my least favorite thing to do in the world is when somebody asks me on a plane what I do for a living. Because either their earphones go on immediately or mine are coming off for the rest of the flight because they just want to bear their souls with me, which is a wonderful privilege. So this man is sitting next to me on the flight, and he's asking me what I do, and I say, I'm a pastor, and that was the com- he wanted to have a conversation. We had a great conversation. His name was Mario. He went on to tell me that his only interaction really with Christians was when he was in high school, his best friend named Todd became a Christian. It was a very unsettling thing. And I said, well, tell me more about that. He said, well, Todd and I grew up together. I knew Todd since I was in first grade. And we had a reputation in our neighborhood to being the kind of rowdier group of friends. So we were the group of friends that we went out in the neighborhood. We found fireworks and blew stuff up. We were the kind of group of friends that we would get really big sodas from 7-Eleven and, and drink too much caffeine and then act crazy. He told me there was a time when, when there was raining and they put soap all in the gutters and this soap happened in the neighborhood. And, and they, they would go to school and he would say, we, you know, we used coarse language. We were just kind of rowdy and that was our reputation. Well, when Todd was a junior in high school, he went away for a couple of weeks to the other side of the country where he was with his cousins for a couple of weeks. And one of those weeks, uh, Todd went to a Christian camp. And he heard the message of Jesus, and he became a Christian, and his life changed. 
dramatically. So much so that when he got home and reacquainted with Mario, he was a different person. All of a sudden, he didn't want to blow stuff up as much. <laughs> but his language started to change. And, and the, the rebellious spirit that they shared together, Mario was saying it just kind of changed. He started becoming really holy. He wanted me to go to church with him. And I did a couple times. But Mario explained to me, watching Todd's transformation was not a beautiful experience for him. And that if anything, him seeing his friend change made him resist church even more. See, chances are, that's not the only time that's happened. And that when you and I really encounter Jesus... And our life changes, and we take that message, there are going to be people who don't really want to hear it. Right? I think we live in a world that doesn't want to hear it at times, right? And so often, I think this is an important point, and what I want to talk about is because I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with myself and with others that say when resistance comes, somehow that's a bad thing, or... I'm doing something wrong. Because if I really loved God, and if I really was sharing the message well, then people would like it and people would follow God too. Oftentimes when we share this message and the resistance comes, we have really weird theological self-esteem. We put that on us. I think we should take comfort knowing that Jesus himself, as he took this message, not just in this text, but throughout his ministry and to his death, he faced resistance. And that if we're to follow Jesus, we ought to just not be surprised that when we take this message and share it, that resistance will come. And we should feel really good company that when we bring this message that we are with a God who understands us. I mean, I think, too, I think about oftentimes where I would sit, especially when I was a little bit younger, I'd sit with a friend that I grew up in church with, and they started making choices that I thought were a little bit different than maybe what God would intend, and we'd sit and talk, that sometimes those conversations went really well. But there are a couple of conversations that stand out where those people were really offended by the message that I was bringing, and that really hurt. But we ought not be surprised that when we bring the message, we will face resistance. Now, I, I think this text specifically talks about the resistance that we face when we share the message of Jesus. But I just want to veer from that for a moment and say, last week, if you were here, we had an opportunity for you to get up at the end and to go pray with our leaders as a church. And if anything was clear to us, it was that resistance is being faced in a very deep way for many of you in this church. The resistance you're feeling at work, from your family, from your health, from your kids, from your parents. That I just want to say to you that not only is resistance guaranteed when it comes to sharing our faith, but resistance is guaranteed in this life as well. And the beautiful thing is that we have a God and we have a Savior who knows resistance. And so that when we're in those places of rejection and resistance, that God isn't distant from us. That he's right there with us. And that should bring us great comfort and great joy. So we've got a message to give. Resistance is guaranteed. But finally, the instructions are really clear. Uh, look with me in uh, 
verse 7. It says, Jesus, calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. And these were his instructions. Listen to this. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house and stay there until you leave the town, and if a place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet as you leave as a testimony against them. So the instructions are really clear. Here's a couple things. First, I think first instruction that's super clear is that they are not to be alone. Before we get to the specifics of the bread and the cloak, we see Jesus doing something profound and beautiful by putting them together with someone else as they go out to share the message. This is really important because my guess would be, even though we sit in this room here this morning, that there are many of you here this morning that when it comes to you and your faith, you feel alone. That even sitting here next to somebody, if they really knew me, but you feel like this Christianity, you may be the only person in your family who knows Jesus. You may feel like you're the only person at your school who knows Jesus. You may feel like you're the only person on your soccer team that knows Jesus. You may be the only person at your workplace who knows Jesus. You know, the thing I, that's fascinating about our high school ministry at this church is we have over 40 different high schools represented in our high school ministry. And it is possible and happens all the time that from one of those high schools is one student who's a part of Lake Avenue, which means they come to this place and they have friendships, hopefully, and encouragement from God's word, but then they go back to their school and they feel alone because they are alone. Friends, Jesus isn't interested in just pairing up the disciples. He's interested in you and I not living our faith alone. That's why we have this connecting point. That's why we have small groups. That's why at elementary we put you with other people. Because the moment that your faith feels like you're left to yourself, it's a discouraging place. And when that resistance happens, that's a tough place to be. When resistance comes and you're in community and you have friendships, all of a sudden resistance has perspective. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'll plop into Jesse's office or Jeff Leo's office and just sit down and talk about something really discouraging that happened. And as I process that out loud and enjoy relationship with them, all of a sudden perspective comes back to me. And I remember that I'm not alone and that God has given me many people to live out my faith with. Friends, if you are the only Christian at your work, if you are the only Christian you know, if you look at the week of your life and there's nobody else around you who shares your faith, something is out of balance. And I encourage you this morning to find someone else and to find a community, as awkward as Christians are, because we are, to put yourself out there. Find a friendship. Find a small group. Find a community. Remember that you are not alone, because the instructions are clear. They're not alone and you're not alone. Second, they're not only not alone, but they don't need a whole lot. I mean, he tells them, you don't even need food. No, just take your staff and take one another and get going. Why is this important? Because the disciples are just like us. I mean, can't you just hear it? I can hear my own self in. Jesus wants me to do what? All of a sudden my hand's going to go up and I've got 500 clarifying questions. Now, where exactly did you want us to go? This is like when you lead a you know, junior high trip to somewhere. No, you're giving us free time. When do we need to be back? Can we go here? Can we go there? Jesus knows us. So he just says, you don't need anything. 
Just take a staff so for the walking you're going to be doing, and you've got somebody else, and get going. Oftentimes, I find people jealous of my job because they say, you get, to, you get to do this for a living. And I say back to you, I'm jealous of your job. Because you're the one who gets to be in a workplace, in an environment where you can take yourself into a world, and it doesn't take much. When I became a Christian, I had a pretty dramatic experience when I was in sixth grade. Went to Forest Home. My parents were going through a divorce. I heard about Jesus. Changed my life. And when I came back, I started wanting to take my faith very seriously. So I started looking around the church that I was in and the youth group that I was in. I started thinking I needed a whole bunch of stuff. I remember one Christmas, I think I asked my mom that I'd need a Bible cover because I looked around at my whole youth group and everybody had a Bible cover. Right? I needed a Christian t-shirt because everybody had those. And I needed to get rid of my good music and get really bad Christian music. I needed all this stuff if I was going to be a good Christian. The reality is that when I was in sixth grade or walking on the campus of Balboa Middle School in Ventura, California, nobody cared if I had a Bible cover, a Christian shirt, or Christian music. I had me and my life, and thank goodness I had a community around me. And so as I brought this message to share, and I was taught very early that I had a responsibility to not just take this faith to myself, but take it into a world As I did that as a sixth grader, I didn't need much, and you don't need much either. I don't know how many times I've had conversations that if if some people, you think that if you just had a theological degree, that you'd be better evangelist. I want to say to you that sometimes I think getting the theological degree makes you a worse evangelist. Or if you're a young person, you think that when you're older, that that's when this will happen for you. And I can be better at at following Jesus when I'm older. No, you don't need much. You need someone else, and you need to be ready that it's hard work and that resistance is going to come. So the instructions are clear. They're not alone. They don't need much. And the last point is this, is that they have been sent out to share. They've been sent out to heal people and to share. And this is, this is, this is a significant work. Okay, I'm going to try to do something really quickly. I need three people who are brave and not afraid to stand up here real quick. I need somebody in elementary school. Come on up. Well, you're in middle school. That's fine. Come up. No, what are you in? I need someone who's 30 years old or so. I know this, this, if you're single, this might be a great opportunity for you to come up. 20 to 30 year old. Someone. Are you 20? Great. Come on up. This will work. And then I need somebody older, however you want to define that. Here we go. Oh, come on up, Jack. This will work fine. Okay. I want you each to think really clearly. Where are you going to be this Tuesday at 10 o'clock in the morning? 10 a.m. Tuesday. If you can't remember, think about where you were at 10 o'clock in the morning last Tuesday. Okay? Are you ready? You got to be ready. Are you ready? Just tell me where you were. You were probably at school. Okay. <laughs> last week? Okay. Where are you going to be 10 o'clock either this week or last week? Um, last week I was at school. You were at school last week. What grade are you in? Fifth. And what school do you go to? Lockyada Elementary. Which one? Lockyada Elementary. Lockyada Elementary. Great. Where are you going to be 10 o'clock this Tuesday? School. School. What school do you go to? Oh, wait. No, I'm not going to be at school because we have the week off. You have the week off. So I'm going to be at home. Home at 10 o'clock? Yep. Okay. Great. Where are you going to be 10 o'clock Tuesday? Jack. Home studying. 
home studying for school. What time do you go to school on Tuesday, Jack? I don't go to school at all on Tuesday. I go to school on Monday. Where are you going to be Wednesday at 10 o'clock, Jack? When, you're going to be at school at some point, right, Jack? Great. Okay, thank you. All right, cool. Thank you. Give them a round of applause. Go back to your seat. Uh, what, what's the point? The point is at 10 o'clock on Tuesday, I'm going to be at the dentist. Isn't that great? So I'm going to be at the dentist. Somebody's going to be at La Cunada Elementary. Luke's going to be sitting at home. And Jack's going to be at school at some point. And many of you are going to be at work. At 10 o'clock on Tuesday morning, we have this thing that happens to us that that's the way we think about it. I'm going to the dentist. I've got somewhere to go. I'm going to school. The reality is this, is that wherever each one of us find ourselves at 10 a.m. on Tuesday, at 2 p.m. today, that it's not by chance that you're there. You and I, just as the disciples were sent, are sent in a variety of places all the time. And that when I enter the dentist's office at 10 in the morning, I have the opportunity to view myself as someone sent into that office to be salt and light. And that will mean the way I interact with the receptionist should reflect the way I live here this morning. And that when you're sent to La Kenyatta Elementary School, you're not just in the third or fourth or fifth grade. God has placed you at that school. And the people who sit around you is an opportunity for you to be Jesus where God has placed you. And even if you're in the library studying or at home, that that is the place where God has placed you. This week especially, some of you are going to be on Thursday, places you're really excited to be, but some of us are going to be places where we're not that excited to be, with family members that are tough for us. But whatever your situation is, that you and I are being sent in a variety of places all the time, it's not just the disciples who were sent. You and I are sent as well. And we have this beautiful thing that happens at Lake Avenue Church where we have a rich history of celebrating and sending people to amazing places across the, the world. We have missionaries all over the place. You can go to the lobby and look. And that's a beautiful thing for a church. But the scary thing for a church is to think that those are the people who are sent and that you're not sent yourself. Being sent by God to bring his message is not just something for a few privileged, really spiritual people. Being sent by God to send his message is something that each one of us who know God is called to do. So that means it changes everything. So the school you find yourself in, the family you find yourself in, the business that you find yourself in is an opportunity to view yourself as a missionary sent by God with a message to share. And sometimes that message has resistance. But let me, let me close with this thought. It's, I don't want to paint the picture that every time we share the message of Jesus, it's just resistance, resistance, resistance. In fact, we read at the end when the disciples go out, it says they went out and preached that people should repent. Verse 13, they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. They went out and did this thing Jesus asked them to do. Don't take a whole lot. Go with someone else. And they saw great success. In fact, I think it's so funny the way the scripture is written sometimes. Because even Jesus his goes says, prophet can't be welcomed in his own town. It's harder to be in this family. And then what does it say at the end? He couldn't do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. 
See, even in the face of resistance, God is doing something. And it's not all the time that we'll face resistance, but oftentimes we'll see what God's going to do. What's the point? It's really not up to you and I, the results. You and I are sent by God to a variety of places and to a variety of people. And God is doing a work. And so when we face resistance or we experience success, God gets the credit and the glory for it all. And so this Advent, our desire as a church is that it would be a little different around here. And we want to give you an opportunity to take this idea that you were being sent and we can bring it to a real personal place. So Pastor Greg's going to come up and share with us a way to respond.